Good morning, church. Good morning. Let's run it back one more time. Good morning, church. I'll never forget her saying the park is packed. It's packed. I was like, how can the Great Smoky National Park be packed? There's a lot of land in East. It's packed. We were at the visitor center right outside Gatlinburg trying to find a spot. It was leading into spring break. It was like the weekend before. And we just wanted to hike. We were on a retreat with our staff and there are three of us that stayed behind. And before we got in the car and kind of raced back to Nashville, it was like, hey, let's throw a quick hike in on the way home. And she's like, sir, the, the park is packed. Every best spot, there's gonna be a line. It's gonna be a lot of folks, but there's this one spot. Uh, I bet it's not that full. And so we said, what is that, ma'am? What, what does that look like? And she said, well, Mount Cameron, uh, I can't hardly say it, I can't hardly spell it, but Mount Cameron um, in Cosby, not gonna be packed. Cool, all right? She goes, and there's a fire tower at the top. And if you make it all the way to the top, the views are 360 panoramic of the Smokies and you won't see anybody up there. There's a fire tower. All you had to say to three dudes was there's a fire tower at the top. And we were in, I kid you not, I don't remember asking a question. I said, yes, ma'am, to the park ranger. I said, we're in. So we got in the car quickly. Again, no questions asked. Make our way to Cosby. Um, We should have Googled. Should have Googled, should have looked at some signage. Signs are important. Um, All we had, again, we're headed home. It's just a quick hike. I had a backpack, literally, kid you not. Backpack, light jacket. um, Let's see what else we got in here. Um, Protein bars for lunch, that's great. Water bottle looks like this. It probably was this. And uh, last but not least, I'm, I'm kind of a weird guy about this. I brought this camera. It's an old, you guys remember this? old Polaroid camera. I dig this stuff. Um, I dig, I don't dig that it's like $12 for a pack of eight photos, but I love that you can hold it when it's done. Um, This is what I brought with me. Now, if you're serious, some of you are in here like serious about hiking and you've probably heard of Mount Cameron. You're like, it's not that bad. We did not plan on hiking for a long time that day. As in, I brought barely anything and a camera that's heavy and awkward. We get to the top, and this is a quick uh, couple of pictures of camera. Uh, we get to the top. On the left, that's a sign that I should have read. Um, these are the, some of the Polaroids from that day. Uh, signs are important. We're going to find that out. In the middle is the actual fire tower. It's unbelievable. It's everything she said it was. Um, we should have asked some questions about how to get there and how long it would take. That's me at the top. It was chilly. That is ice on the bottom. That third picture on the right, bottom left corner, that's ice on the Polaroid slide. Um, The slides froze about halfway up, walking through the snow to get there in April. Uh, Interesting. There's a guy that was in the middle picture in that spot when we got there. He had a bag kind of like that, only it was like Uh, how do you say it, ginormous. And it was just like packed appropriately. What I found out after talking to him is he's going through sections of the AT or the Appalachian Trail. He weighs things by the ounce. And if it's too many ounces, he doesn't put it in his bag. The key is lightweight. Again, we're just trying to get home to Nashville looking for a quick two hour hike. I brought my Polaroid camera, sir. Isn't that neat? And he's kindly, uh, in so many ways, rookie. Uh, Yes, sir. It was a great trip. I'll tell you this, that picture that you just saw are all pictures during the hike. There are no after pictures. Why? I didn't care, honestly. So tired. Seven and a half, eight hours later, we get back to the spot. 
3,000 feet of elevation gain between campground and summit. And yes, you're like, summit, really, Garrett? You're gonna say summit when it comes to camera? I'm like, yes, yes, I am. You're like, isn't that like an Everest thing? Like Everest, you can say I summited. Uh, Mount Whitney, you can say I summited. Colorado, the Collegiate Peaks, summit. No, no, I'm using it for this. We worked for it, we're gonna do it. We get to the top of Mount Cameron, a little over 5,000 feet. We get back down and I could barely move my arms and my legs. 11.1 miles round trip, I was done. And the elevation was crazy. It was, it was an interesting trip and I say this, it would have been really nice to read the signs. It really would have, the signs are there. Like they do a great job on the AT going, okay, here's a sign, this is where it goes and here's what happens next. Didn't care, all that was in my head, fire tower, fire tower, you gotta see the view. And my seven personality is like, get there, get there. Here comes the experience, it's gonna be great. And turns out signs are important, really important. We get in the car and we uh, just the cramps begin, right? You're trying to get to the Cracker Barrel as fast as possible and the cramps set in. And I'm just reading your views like, did you guys know about this? Like I'm Googling Mount Cameron and reading the reviews from people who have done it, which is what we should have done in the beginning. Rated extreme by most websites. <laughs> you laugh, it wasn't funny then, it's funny now. Wasn't funny then, extreme. And then you get this sweet girl named Jennifer and she leaves this review. I looked at it, literally leading into this moment. She says, quote, lovely, walk, end quote. But who is this woman? Who are you? Teach me your ways. What is this? Signs are important. They mean something. They point to something. And in this case, when we get the fifth sign that Jesus brings in the gospel of John, they point to someone just as the previous four do. Okay, if you would stand with me. John chapter six is where we're headed. Would you stand with me and we'll read it together. As we get there, John chapter six, we will be in verse 21, excuse me, 16, and we'll get to verse 21. John six, 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. You know the story. He got into a boat and started, or they got into a boat and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. We'll get to that. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened as you and I would both be. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him in the boat and immediately the boat was at land We'll get to that, to which they were going. Signs are important. They mean something. They point to something. And in this case here, as with the previous four signs Jesus gives, they point to him. Let's pray together. We'll jump right in. Father, we love you. We give you this moment. Would you move in power? And all God's people said, you may have a seat. You get to these signs, quick recap, sign number one. You got the wedding, you got the water to wine. We did that right over here, sign one. Sign two, the official son is healed. Dude literally shows up to Jesus and says, I know you can heal my kid, would you do it? Yep, miles away, yep. Three, 
famous story, the paralytic, 38 years, uh, pool at Bethesda. Jesus comes in and just says, looks at him and says to him face to face, hey, you wanna get well? I'm your guy. And in that moment, get up your mat, take up your mat and walk. That's three. And then you turn the page to John chapter six. And this is what I dig right here. I love this stuff when John six really comes on the scene. And last week, Mike walked through it. It's the bread of life. Jesus comes in and it alludes to Moses in the Old Testament, the manna that fell that only lasted for how long? One day, right? They couldn't store it up, fell for one day. Jesus comes in and he's the bread of life that lasts forever. He's talking about himself. Matt Carter's great at this and his commentary has been super helpful walking into this series. When John 6 opens, you gotta have this as your baseline walking through the entirety of this this spot today. Is that there is a compare and contrast going on, this connection going on between the Old Testament figure, this leader named Moses and the new covenant under this man named Jesus who is coming with his fifth sign. That is underneath this entire passage and you gotta see it. It's, abs- it's a stunner, it's beautiful, it changes everything. And when you get to this passage, it's massive. Jesus is great about this. And what I had never seen until leading into this moment this morning is that in a way, in a way, Moses and Jesus are talking about each other. And here's what I mean. You go back to Deuteronomy 18. You don't have to flip there, but I want to read it. And here's what Moses says about the one who will be Messiah, who will come. All the way back, Deuteronomy 18, quick verse. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. Get this, it is to him you shall listen. Moses says, there's gonna be one coming and you gotta listen to him. And Jesus responds to this verse when you get to John chapter five in the end. And I want you to see this really, really quickly to make this bridge into this passage. Jesus says in John 5, 46, right before the 5,000 are fed, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. If you would believe Moses, you'd believe me because I'm the guy that he's talking about in Deuteronomy 18. And this bridge, I I just, can I just say this out loud? I love this book. I love this book. The more we dig into this book and we're gonna keep digging this morning, you see that it's one story. It's 66 books that are beautiful and stunning, but it's one massive narrative about one person, one person. And his name is Jesus. And he comes in this new covenant. He said, here's all these signs, one, two, three, and four. And now here's five. We walk in it. We look at it. Verse 16, it says, when evening came. Quickly in that context and in that time period, evening equals this, afternoon to sunset. So if you're thinking, dudes got in the boat at night to row six plus miles. No, 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 no. I thought that. That's not true. It's afternoon until sunset because you don't want to be in a boat where a storm could pop up out of nowhere at night. That just makes sense for you fishermen and women out there. That's just a no-go. That's not what they wanted. But here's what happens. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Okay? Now, This sea, also called the Lake of Tiberias, interchangeable names right there. It's about six and a half miles wide. 
Even today, it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, 600 feet below sea level. And because of those conditions and the fact that it's sunken down, storms can pop up in a second on that sea, on that lake. And this is what happened to our guys. When evening came, his disciples went down in the sea. They got in a boat. Now, keyword: Jesus ain't there. Where's he at? Like, those are his followers. Jesus does what he kind of does when he's being awesome and he's always being awesome. In this moment, Mark's gospel teaches this. He sent the disciples down to the sea and Jesus went up on the mountain to pray alone by himself because the secret place had to happen. That communion had to happen. They got into the boat in 17 and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet yet come and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. I love this. This even echoes, you go back to Exodus 13, 14, parting of the sea. In that text, it's a strong east wind was, was churned up by the Lord. And in this moment, you get this storm coming on when they had rowed about three or four miles. In other words, halfway, halfway. It's dark, it's night, not looking good. When they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. They were frightened, refused to believe that there's an argument, it's a small one out there. Jesus was on the land and just the optics of it were this and that. No, 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 you're not gonna be able to convince me that these seasoned gruff fishermen are lying about this and putting off a story here. That's not what occurred. He's walking on the water and literally on top of the water. And to add to that, it's storming. He's the God of the storm. Walking on the water through all of the stuff the churning of the seas does not matter to him in that moment because the churning of the seas obeys him. He's king. So he shows up on the scene and they are frightened. The cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us. It finishes up this way. Jesus said to them, and the whole passage hinges on this spot. It is I, do not be afraid. In the midst of all the uncertainty and the crazy waves and everything going not to plan, Jesus shows up and he gives them the sign that he is God. Now, what do I mean when I say that? I love the Bible. I love this book. And I didn't know this part of the Bible until literally this week. And it's changing me and it's completely incredible. When it says it is I right here, the Greek, ego, ami, ego, ami. What does that mean, G? Jesus says out loud, literally, I am. It is I. Originally in the Greek, the equivalent in the Hebrew Old Testament alludes back to the burning bush with Moses, where the Lord says, I am who I am. The Greek equivalent, ego, me, 
And Jesus shows up on the water to the disciples and declares in full majesty, it is I, I am, I am divine. And the declaration happens first to the disciples in this moment. It's interesting. You get to Mark's passage and I love Mark's passage. The great thing about the gospels, especially the first three, the synoptic gospels is that they look a lot alike. Mark was first, but they look a lot alike. John's is a little different. So what I love is pairing John with Mark's account, the first account and going from there. Mark jumps in and says some really, really neat things. In that moment, they let Jesus in the boat. Wouldn't you? Here's what uh, I love. There's a guy in New York City that used to pastor a redeemer, um, now emeritus, his name's Tim Keller. And he says it this way and it's better than I could ever say it. And we'll close with this. Tim Keller on John 6, 20, the it is I moment says this, now take a look here. You move on down to verse 20, it says, but he said to them, it is I, when he says there is far more amazing, excuse me, what he says there is far more amazing than what he has just done. That stopped me. Because the walking on water thing's pretty spectacular, by the way, in a storm, by the way. And Keller comes in and says out loud, what he says, it is I, is far more amazing than what he's just done. Okay, do you think it's amazing to see him just strolling along through the storm, over the storm? He's Lord of the storm. He's enthroned over the flood. That's amazing. No, what he says is even more amazing than what he does. It says, it is I. Keller says, let's pity the poor translators. There are an awful lot of weird things Jesus says that when you translate them word for word would make the poor reader scratch his or her head. What he actually says literally is I am. He says, ego emi. The reason the translator couldn't put that down is you're reading that and say, what kind of nonsense is that? Of, of course, like Jesus comes in and says, I am. Well, of course he is. I mean, there he is. Why would he say such a thing? He finishes, Jesus Christ, when he says I am, is giving the divine name as his name. When he says, I am, he's giving the divine name as his name. This is what God said to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, when he was trying to open up to Moses the deepest secret of his identity. When God was giving us the deepest name that looks into his identity and to his godness, he says to Moses, I am. Why would he say, I am? It's so profound the more you think on it. He always was and always will be. And Jesus comes in and says, that's me. I am the exact representation of the Father. So what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? Let him in the boat. Let him in the boat. Let him in the boat and let him lead. It's not let him in the boat and, and you're still steering. It is let him in the boat and let him lead. Let him in the boat and let him lead. Why? What happens next? Sure. What do you mean, sure? Verse 21, sure. His peace and his presence. You longing for it like I am? I'm not perfect, I'm a mess. 
But when I read these stories about our king and he gives these signs, it impresses them on my heart to go, he's it. He's everything we've waited for. And Moses in Deuteronomy 18 is hearkening to that and say, if they'll just listen, this is the guy. The Messiah is gonna come. And Jesus goes, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. It is I. And I will take you to shore immediately with my presence and I will fill you with my peace. He's good like that. If you're here this morning, you're like, gee, I I don't know him. I I don't have that moment of, of giving him my life and enjoying his presence and enjoying his peace. It would be remiss of us as a team to have a moment here today where we don't do that, to not have a moment where we don't do that. If you don't know Jesus in the, in the privacy of your heart in this moment, I just wanna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. That's everybody. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. If you want to know Jesus, you've never given your life to him. We wanna give you a shot. As every head bowed and every eye is closed, one of my favorite spots that John does not include, but Mark does in his account, is before Jesus says, it is I, he says, take heart, take courage. Lift up your head. I am. If you want to know that king, just look up at me. If you're serious about it in your soul, just look up at me. There's no pressure. But if the spirit has laid this, laid, laid his power on your life, you need forgiveness. And in the midst of the storm, there is one who can show up in power. King over all. If you're looking at me right now, you're serious, you wanna give Jesus your life, just pray this prayer alongside me. If you are serious, we're not asking for like a seventh salvation here. But if you've never met Jesus, we wanna give you the shot. Pray after me in the silence of your own heart. Jesus, in this moment, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. And create in me a clean heart. I surrender. I need you in the boat. I need the shore. But no matter if I'm in the boat or on the shore, I just need your presence, your peace, your spirit. Save me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, come find us. Come find us. If you go out here, we laugh. It's the Apple store out there on the left. It's the Welcome Center. There are trained folks in there to listen to your story and show you how to walk with Jesus. We've got stuff for you, next steps, all that stuff is there. We sure love to see you. Travis, take it from here.